0: Chapter 7 of Alexander Hamilton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Alexander Hamilton by Charles A. Conant. Chapter 7 Hamilton as a Party Leader. Part 1 The ratification of the Jay Treaty did much to shake the power of the Federalists and for a moment seemed to threaten their ruin. It was divisions in their own ranks, however, which contributed as much to this event as any real blunders in public policy. Hamilton was not at his best in conciliating those who differed from him, and he did not encounter a more yielding or tactful associate in John Adams. Hamilton had gone out of his way with little reason at the first presidential election in 1788, to secure votes against Adams. His avowed object was to ensure the election of Washington by preventing a tie vote between Washington and Adams. The original Constitution authorized each elector to vote for two persons for president and vice-president without designating the office for which either was voted for. This led to complications which were corrected by an amendment after the election of 1800. In the case of the first election, however, few sane men doubted that Washington would have the majority of the votes, and the only effect of the intrigue of Hamilton was to reduce the vote for Adams to a point which almost caused his defeat. Hamilton supported Adams in the second election in 1792 and the relations between the two men were reasonably cordial. When Washington retired from the presidency in 1797, the commanding men in the Federalist Party were Hamilton, John Jay, Thomas Pinckney, and John Adams. Hamilton was the controlling mind in the consultations of the leaders rather than the sort of man who appealed to the people. He was not seriously thought of by himself or others as a candidate for president. Jay was barred by the odium attaching to the treaty with Great Britain. The choice was therefore reduced to Pinckney and Adams. Most of the leaders were for Adams, who was superior to Pinckney in revolutionary services and ability. It was determined that the Federalist electors should vote for both Adams and Pinckney. With the purpose of choosing the former for president and the latter for vice president. Hamilton, on this occasion, urged that all the Federalist electors should vote for both Adams and Pinckney. If each had received an equal number of votes, the choice would have been thrown into the House and Adams would probably have been elected. Hamilton erred in letting it be known that he was indifferent whether the outcome was favorable to Adams or Pinckney. Especially when there was a strong suspicion that he was really for Pinckney. Party discipline had not then reached its modern development, and votes were thrown away by Federalist electors in the North to prevent a majority for Pinckney over Adams, and in the South to prevent the same chance in favor of Adams. The result of these jealousies was that Adams barely escaped defeat. He was chosen by a plurality of three but pinckney was beaten and jefferson having the next highest vote was elected vice president adams became firmly convinced that hamilton was his personal enemy and would stop at nothing to injure him that hamilton was recognized by all the party leaders as the mastermind and the guiding spirit of the party made no difference to a man of the hot temper and resolute spirit of john adams tact and conciliation were as far removed from his nature as from that of any American public man. The indifference of Hamilton, whether he was beaten by Pinckney in connection with Hamilton's intrigue in 1788, had convinced Adams that Hamilton did not feel proper respect for him, and that he was seeking to dictate the policy of the administration, and to thwart and degrade him. Adams resented any sort of suggestion or consultation, and took delight in disregarding the suggestions of Hamilton, while the latter struck back through several members of the cabinet, who were more in sympathy with him than with the President. The country, having escaped the danger of immediate war with England by the Jay Treaty, was soon threatened with war with France. Monroe had been recalled as American minister at Paris, and Charles Pinckney, who was sent in his place, Had been refused a reception. Some of the Federalists were so incensed against France that they were eager for war. Hamilton was opposed to war if it could be avoided, but was in favor of a resolute policy. Adams, although as far as possible from sympathy with France, believed every reasonable effort should be made to preserve peace. It was decided, with the approval of both Adams and Hamilton, To send a commission of three to Paris to negotiate. Over the appointment of this new commission, new differences broke out between Hamilton and the president. Hamilton favored the appointment of a Northern and a Southern Federalist, and of a Democrat of the highest standing, like Madison or even Jefferson. Adams was at first disposed to make these appointments, but finally took both the Federalists from the South pinckney of south carolina and john marshall of virginia and selected as the third member a democrat of comparatively minor standing gary of massachusetts the commissioners accomplished little good at paris they were insulted and browbeaten and told that only bribery would secure what they desired when their treatment became known in the united states in the spring of seventeen ninety eight there was a popular outburst which restored the federalists to power in congress in the following autumn with a larger majority than ever before since party divisions became fixed enthusiastic addresses poured in upon president adams war vessels were fitted out by private subscription and bills were carried at once for a provisional army for fortifications and for the increase of the navy Even under this stress of excitement, however, Hamilton opposed alliance with Great Britain and persuaded Pickering, the Secretary of State, to abandon the advocacy of it. It was over the organization of the new army that the hostility of Adams to Hamilton became open and bitter. Washington was selected as commander in chief, but only consented to serve upon the condition that he should have the choice of the officers who were to rank next to him and should not be called upon to take an active part until the army took the field. He recommended to the President that rank in the Revolutionary Army be disregarded, and that the three major generals to be appointed should be Hamilton, Charles Pinckney, and Knox. This gave the practical command, and the work of the organization, to Hamilton. Adams sent the names to the Senate, in the order suggested by Washington, and they were promptly confirmed. When he came to signing the commissions, however, he took the ground that Knox was the senior officer on account of his rank during the Revolution. Hamilton would not consent to this arrangement, and all the Federalist leaders, including members of the Cabinet, remonstrated with the President against it. One of the saddest results of the quarrel was the alienation from Hamilton of Knox, who had been a friend of many years. And when Secretary of War in Washington's first cabinet had stood loyally by Hamilton against Jefferson in the controversy over the financial projects, Adams at first seemed to grow more stubborn with the protests which were made against his action. The leaders finally turned to Washington. The latter informed the president that if the original agreement as to the rank of the officers was not kept, he should resign adams with all his stubbornness and bravery did not dare defy the country by forcing washington from the service he gave way and appointed hamilton to the first place but the good feeling which might have been promoted if he had done so at first was replaced on both sides by bitterness which was never softened hamilton as the practical head of the army showed the same abounding energy and capacity for organization which he had shown at the head of the treasury he drafted a plan for the fortification of new york harbor made an appointment of officers and men among the states and drew up projects for the organization of the new army dealing with the questions of pay uniforms rations promotions police and garrisons and camps and the many other branches of the service all these projects received the cordial approval of washington When Congress met, Hamilton was ready with a bill putting the army upon a basis which would permit its increase or diminution in future without changing the form of the organization. In the spring of 1799, he was providing for the defense of the frontiers and planning the invasion of Louisiana and the Floridas. End of chapter 7, part 1